the cost of discipleship. I love cartoons. When I was growing up, um, you could often find me in a corner with my head buried in a book, and oftentimes it was a cartoon book. I love Peanuts, Charlie Brown, Lucy, Linus, Schroeder, Pigpen, and of course, Snoopy. And I love the Far Side cartoon. Uh, uh, Sam was uh, laughing at my attempt at humor this morning, and, and I appreciate anybody who has a sense of humor uh, as strange as mine. And the Far Side is my type of humor. Uh, Gary Larson retired. He's the cartoonist who does the Far Side. Uh, he retired in 1995, so it has been 25 years since we've had some fresh uh, far sides uh, to enjoy. Good news, though, far side aficionados. Uh, just this week, July 7th of this week, Gary Larson uh, has uh, come out of retirement and has released some brand new cartoons. They're on his website. Peanuts are great. Far side's great. But if you know me, you know that my favorite is Calvin and Hobbes. Yes. I haven't seen that much excitement in this crowd in a long time. I, uh, I, I told you I love cartoons. and um, So for those of you who don't know who Calvin and Hobbes is, Violet can tell you, and because uh, she knows. Um, Calvin is a little boy, very mischievous, and he has an imaginary friend, his tiger, his stuffed tiger, who somehow comes to life. And they have all kinds of adventures. And uh, uh, you know, I used to be a, a little mischievous boy. And Rhonda and I had three mischievous boys. And now we have 11 mischievous grandsons. Uh, trust me, we get Calvin. Uh, we, we, uh, we can relate. And the next time uh, you're in our living room, make sure you look for our treasured uh, collection of Calvin and Hobbes. It's a, a three-volume anthology and I'm happy to report that I uh, have seen my grandkids, uh, grandsons, and granddaughters alike um, take those off the shelf and uh, spend hours enjoying Calvin and Hobbes. Um, makes me happy. Cartoons give me joy. They make me happy. But this week, I saw a cartoon that made me sad. Here it is. The Light Church. I'll read, in case you can't read it, I'll read the billboard there in front of the Light Church. And that's not light as in light, L-I-G-H-T. It's light as in L-I-T-E. So 24% fewer commitments, home of the 7.5% tithe, 15-minute sermons, 45-minute worship services. We only have eight commandments, your choice, we use just three of the four spiritual laws, and we have an 800-year millennium. Everything you've always wanted in a church and less. Uh, this cartoon uh, was actually drawn some 30 years ago. 24% um, fewer commitments. Well, obviously, this is not a church plant. Home of the 7.5% 7 tithe. Um, that may actually be more than most people give nowadays anyway. Only eight commandments? Eight commandments? 
Eight out of ten? In American culture, eight out of ten is pretty good. A lot of people wouldn't even go for five. I thought the 800-year tag on the millennium was pretty pretty funny, but the tagline really irritated me. Everything you've always wanted in a church and less. Today's message is the cost of discipleship. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the challenge of your word. We thank you for the challenge of Jesus' words to us. We thank you, Lord, that we have a nice, dry, climate-controlled place to worship. We thank you, Lord, that we really don't fear governmental persecution today or religious sectarian strife. We don't fear any of those things. And yet you want us to talk today and to learn about the cost of discipleship. You want a people who have not suffered much, if any, to follow you. I pray, Lord, we would do just that today. We ask all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. We'll be in Luke chapter 9. Turn to Luke 9, verses 57 through 62. And I'm going to ask you to stand out of respect for the word of the Lord. Uh, For this one passage, I'll ask you to stand. Luke chapter 9, verses 57 through 62. Hear the word of the Lord. As they were traveling on the road, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. Jesus told him, Foxes have dens and birds of the sky have nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. Then he said to another, Follow me. Lord, he said, First let me go bury my father. But he told him, Let the dead bury their own dead, but you go and spread the news of the kingdom of God. Another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me go and say goodbye to those at my house. But Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. You know, that cartoon that we looked at just a minute ago was published over 35 years ago. And uh, what may have seemed outlandish to the cartoonist 35 years ago seems almost normal and commonplace now. And that tagline, everything you've always wanted in the church and less, that hits hard. That cartoon and that congregation is such a contrast to what the Lord Jesus Christ is calling us to. And today we will count the cost of discipleship. Here are three questions for you. Do you have a nice home? Jesus didn't. His disciples didn't either. Question number two, have you left your mom and dad behind to fend for themselves? Jesus did. His disciples did as well. Question number three, have you gone back to say goodbye to the rest of your friends and family? Jesus and his disciples left everything and everyone they knew for the sake of the call. And so while you're looking at those three questions, I want you to look at another passage in Luke, Luke chapter 14. And let's see if Jesus is going to let us off the hook now. Luke chapter 14, verses 25 through 35. Hear the word of the Lord. Now great crowds were traveling with him. So he turned and said to them, 
If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, wanting to build a tower, doesn't first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, after he has laid the foundation and cannot finish, all the onlookers will begin to ridicule him, saying, this man started to build and wasn't able to finish. Or what king going to war against another king will not first sit down and decide if he's able with 10,000 to oppose the one who comes against him with 20,000? If not, while the other is still far off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. In the same way, every one of you who does not renounce all his possessions cannot be my disciple. Now salt is good, but if salt should lose its taste, how will it be made salty? It isn't fit for the soil, soil or for the manure pile. They throw it out. Let anyone who has ears to hear listen. This is the word of the Lord. You will remember that I asked you three questions. Questions that I believe Jesus is asking all of us. Question number one, do you have a nice home? Question number two, have you left your mom and dad to fend for themselves? Question number three, have you gone back to say goodbye to your friends and family? Are these three hard questions? Yes, but when we look at this next passage in Luke... These are even harder questions. Jesus isn't backing off. Jesus is doubling down. Question number four, do you hate your parents? Question number five, do you hate your spouse and children? Question number six, do you hate your own life? Question number seven, are you carrying with you your personalized form of execution? In other words, are you carrying your cross? Question number eight, have you counted the cost? Question nine, have you renounced your possessions? Those may be the toughest nine questions I've ever faced. How about you? And I'm not going to sugarcoat these questions. Jesus certainly didn't. But just a word of explanation. Jesus is not saying that we should hate our parents, our spouse, our kids, or our life. This is not what Jesus is saying. You remember the commandment, honor thy father and thy mother. You remember the commandment, love your neighbor as yourself. You remember the commandment to love our enemies. This is what Jesus is saying. If your house holds you back from following Him, if your parents hold you back from following Him, if your spouse or your children hold you back from following Him, if your love for your own life holds you back from following Him, if you aren't willing to face your own death daily, if you aren't willing to count the cost, if you aren't willing to renounce your possessions, then you're not worthy to be His disciples. That's what He's saying. Jesus wants us to count the cost. And there is a cost to being a disciple of Jesus. We're on a watch party right now. We saw that the Drapers are watching. You will remember the Drapers, a dear family of ours who have since moved away, ben, ben Draper's in the Coast Guard, and he finished his study, studies here in the Coast Guard, said, hey, we need you over here on the coast. So they're headed to the coast to serve, and we miss them. And I'm not sure how Ben was recruited into the Coast Guard, but I came across this story of a fresh new recruit into the Coast Guard 
this week. This guy's name is Stephen Cole. And this is a quote when he says, When I joined the Coast Guard Reserves, the recruiter was not exactly honest. Honesty got in the way of his recruitment quota, so it wasn't very high on his priority list. The recruiter knew that I liked to read, so he told me, there is a library on the base. What he didn't tell me was that no recruit could go there until he earned the privilege and that no one could possibly earn the privilege until he had been in boot camp for six weeks. And then, when he did get to go to the library, it was for one hour a week. One fellow recruit became the laughing stock of the base when he showed up for boot camp with his fishing pole and water skis because the recruiter had told him that the base was on an island, true, and that you could fish, true, and water ski, true, but not if you're a recruit. Jesus was not a dishonest recruiter. He wants us to know up front that He is enlisting us in warfare against the powers of darkness and that warfare is difficult. If we're looking for a program where our own personal comfort is paramount, we should look elsewhere. Following Jesus must be more important than our personal comfort. It's not going to be easy. It hasn't been easy. It won't be easy. Get used to it. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, well-known Baptist preacher, some call him the Prince of Preachers, had this to say about the challenge in Luke chapter 9 and Luke 14 that we just read. He says this, quote, So we are not to hate our children, nor are we to hate our brothers and sisters. It is only in a comparative sense and not literally that the term possibly can be used. And to make this very clear, Christ said that we are to hate our own life. The next logical step, if you took that literally, would be to commit suicide. And the Savior would never have meant any of His followers to commit that terrible sin. What He did mean was that He wants us, He wants to have the first place in our hearts. And all who are dear to us are to be second. Yes, and we ourselves are to be second too. And we are to be prepared to break every earthly tie rather than the tie which binds us to Christ Jesus our Lord. That's Charles Haddon Spurgeon. I've known Jesus for a long time. I've served Him for most of my life. But I've never served Him at the level which Jesus is calling for in these two passages. Now I will not tell you that I have not suffered for Jesus because that wouldn't be true. I know what it's like to lose money in business because I've been true to Jesus and His Word. I know what it's like to have my print shop window shot out because I wouldn't print something that the Lord would not want me to print. But what I have suffered is nothing compared to what so many others have suffered and are suffering right now as disciples of Christ. Listen to the Apostle Paul's description of his current status when he wrote a letter to the Corinthians. This is in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 11-13. through 13. Up to the present hour, we are both hungry and thirsty. We are poorly clothed, roughly treated, homeless. We labor, working with our own hands. When we are reviled, we bless. 
When we are persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we respond graciously. Even now, we are like the scum of the earth, like everyone's garbage. I'd say the Apostle Paul knew something about discipleship. And he had quite the pedigree, quite the background, quite the training. He had quite a resume. His list of accomplishments went on and on. What did he think about them? He tells us in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 through 9, he says this, But everything that was gained for me, I have considered to be loss because of Christ. More than that, I also consider everything to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. Because of him I have suffered the loss of all things and consider them as dung so that I may gain Christ and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own from the law but one that is through faith in Christ Jesus the righteousness from God based on faith. My daughter-in-law Karina was born and raised in Romania. Her dad was an avowed communist and he was assigned a Baptist church to spy on. The story, the full story is in Trevin's book, This Is Our Time. Karina's dad went to a Baptist church with the full intention of taking names and turning in those believers, turning them over to the atheist authorities that he served, but God had different plans. That night, he was there to take names. The gospel was preached. That night, the gospel was preached and God in all His glory touched hearts, even cold communist hearts. And when the preacher asked if anyone there wanted to receive Christ as Savior to please raise their hand, Brother Trafon raised both hands because he became a brother that night. He was gloriously saved. But when he went home and told his wife, He was excited. She wasn't. She was not excited at all because she knew that there was a cost to following Christ. She told him, be prepared to be ostracized. Be prepared to be kicked out of the party. Be prepared to lose your business. Be prepared to die because they will kill you. The Trafons knew the cost of discipleship. After coming to Christ, Brother Trafon often entertained Richard Wormbrand in their home. Richard Wormbrand was imprisoned and tortured by the Romanian communists for 14 years. You can read his story in his book, Tortured for Christ. He went on to found the voice of the martyrs. Richard Wormbrand knew the true cost of discipleship. He suffered for Christ. The Trafon suffered for Christ. I'm just going to ask you, are you suffering for Christ? I will say this. There is absolutely nothing safe about discipleship. Recently, we've been so blessed to come across a new resource called The Chosen. And this is a devotional from The Chosen. This is day three, and this talks quite a bit about Mary Magdalene. And so it starts with Luke chapter 9, verses 23 through 24. You you may be familiar with that passage. 
This is the passage where Jesus says, if anyone would come after me, he's going to need to deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow. And the writers of this devotional have taken the liberty of replacing himself with herself and him with her. And I think it's perfectly appropriate because I believe Jesus was talking to female disciples as much as he was talking to his male disciples. So Luke 9, 23, verses 24, If anyone would come after me, let her deny herself and take up her cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save her life will lose it, but whoever loses her life for my sake will save it. And then the devotional goes on to say this, <clears throat> To save our lives, we must lose them. Well, that's a mind bender for sure, but we need to understand this. Jesus said it to the disciples after... Now remember, he, he said this after they had dropped everything to follow him. They'd sacrificed their careers, their homes, their relationships for the man that they believed was the Messiah. Life as they knew it had turned upside down, but more would be required of them, and Jesus knew this. He knew what lay ahead, and he was doubling down. He knew they would become pillars of the early church in charge of spreading the truth about salvation to the world, discipling the masses, and claiming Christ in the face of imprisonment, torture, and death. By the way, all of the disciples died a violent death with the exception of John who was placed in a vat of boiling oil but survived. They would lose their lives on earth figuratively and literally for the sake of all they would gain in heaven. And they did it well because their testimonies, their personal stories of what Jesus had said and done were potent demonstrations of His transformative love and power in their lives. They shared the gospel with an unstoppable, contagious, relentless passion that, to be honest, seems kind of rare these days. How were they able to do this? Well, for starters, they weren't in love with themselves or their own stories. They weren't branding their Christian narratives for maximum personal benefit, approval, sympathy, clicks, or likes. They weren't assigning themselves the hero role or belaboring their before-Christ dysfunction with all its juicy, sensationalistic tidbits. When you look at biblical examples, it's amazing how few words are given to the broken past. As a matter of fact, they almost always exclusively focus on Jesus. Take Mary Magdalene. The fact that she was delivered from seven demons is a crucial aspect of her testimony because it showcases Jesus' authority and why she responded to Him the way she did. And then that's it. That's all the detail that we need to know. In other words, her autobiography would not have been titled The Dark Years with 300 pages dedicated to describing the monsters within. Fascinating? Yeah, sure. But powerful and effective and glorifying to the one who rescued her? No, not so much. There's a reason why we meet Mary after her healing because that's where the real story is. There are a few other things we know about her. She followed Jesus and financially supported his ministry until his crucifixion, which means that she gave everything she had to follow him. 
She endured the crucifixion. She was there at the foot of the cross. She stayed close to Jesus while he suffered and died. We also know this about her. She was the first person that Jesus appeared to after he rose from the dead. And she was the one he sent to tell his disciples the universe-altering news. All because the old was gone and dead, Jesus had given her new life. Which, all of this means this. If you've, even if you've only been a believer for the last 10 minutes, those minutes are entirely more relevant than the 20, 40, 80 years, whatever, prior to your conversion. We're called to represent Jesus and die to the lives He saved us from. When we do that, when He stays the hero of the story, our words and lives become real-time, potent demonstrations of His transformative love and power. I remember singing a song in church when I was growing up. It's a good song. Some of the lyrics went like this. Jesus has a table spread where the saints of God are fed. He invites His chosen people come and dine. With His manna He doth feed and supplies our every need. Oh, tis sweet to sup with Jesus all the time. Come and dine, the Master calleth. Come and dine. You may feast at Jesus' table all the time. He who fed the multitudes turned the water into wine. To the hungry calleth now, come and dine. Come and dine is a good song. And as a good Baptist, I do want to come and dine with the Master. But this same Jesus who fed the multitudes and turned the water into wine, this same Jesus is calling me and you to do more than just to attend the next scheduled potluck. Jesus is not bidding us to come and dine. He's bidding us to come and die. Dietrich Bonhoeffer has been quoted both in Sunday school and in the lead up of the worship today. The man who wrote The Cost of Discipleship, the man who was executed for his faith in Jesus Christ by the Nazis, said when Christ calls a man, he bids him come and die. Now, we won't have too much trouble recruiting people if our motto is come and dine. But if we tell people the truth, that the real cost of discipleship is high, our recruiting efforts might suffer. But then we are true disciples of Jesus Christ. Because Jesus did not say come and dine. He said come and die. Father, you know my heart. You know how hard it was for me to preach this because I have not suffered. I know Christians who have suffered. I read stories of Christians who have given all to be true disciples, who have followed in your footsteps and have died deaths that honored and glorified you. But Lord, you know my heart. And I believe, Lord, you know the heart of the people here and the people who are watching online that we want more than just a come and dine invitation from Jesus, that we want it all. We want to embrace your suffering. We want to embrace your death. Lord, you are teaching us the true cost of discipleship. I pray, Lord, that you would find us faithful. And we pray all these things in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.